0: Welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We're proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network,
1: a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to another fresh and amazing episode of The Pemberley Podcast. We are coming back after a brief hiatus where we were figuring out what adaptation we wanted to discuss next, and we are so excited to dive into uh, our very first book. There's a weird thing to say because ultimately we're talking about very old books, but they've been made into web series and TV shows and movies. Uh, but we're talking about a real book called Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev.
0: Yeah, and thanks to everyone who sent through suggestions on Instagram. Uh, we had posted a little question to get some suggestions and then we realized this book was literally coming out the same week and we're like, this is perfect. We're going <laughs> to announce it on the same day as the book launch day. <laughs> I would like to say
1: that we are clever enough to have totally planned this all out on our own. Yeah. But Yolanda and I were having a discussion where we were like, what do we do next? What, like, we, cause we, we sort of narrowed it down to doing a book. Then Yolanda, you pointed out like, oh, we've, covered several Jane Austen books like we haven't repeated a book and we're like oh good idea so that <laughs> means we had to stop looking at all the Pride and Prejudice adaptations that we had been considering and yeah. then we saw a Recipe for Persuasion and it was it just felt like such a slam dunk
0: yeah which is part of the uh, journey of this podcast of figuring out <laughs> what we're doing as we, we go along yep. um, nearly four years later but yeah I think it, it seems like natural to be like oh yeah that seems like a good good goal of the show
1: yep because we've already talked about Pride and Prejudice we've already talked about
0: Emma we've talked about Sanditon there's other books to talk about and I think what's really cool and unique about this story specifically is we have a completely diverse cast of characters in this book written by a woman of color I mean obviously in Jane Austen in itself a lot of adaptations even the ones we love have very little to no diversity. And I think it's really important, especially with everything going on right now and always, um, that we continue to highlight diverse stories. Um, And in case you didn't see, Crystal Clark recently posted on her Twitter and Instagram some of her thoughts about being the first black character in an Austin adaptation and being part of Sanditon. Having diversity in front of the camera is great. Diversity behind the camera, just as important. Basically Crystal goes into saying there weren't any black writers on the show and there there wasn't anyone of color who could really be there behind the camera to be her advocate in the show in any way. So she ended up having to be a sort of racial diversity consultant for the show without any credit, without any extra pay, uh, which is sadly what Often happens for people of color is like they're they're looked to as like the diversity consultant, and you're like, I'm just a person of color. I'm not an expert necessarily. I can only speak to my experience. But like, how cool would it have been if you had someone who actually knew the history of a character like Georgiana in that time, who was actually a writer on the show, and could really take her story with care? Because I think we do see like we talked about it when we were talking about Sanditon, but. In the first half, you kind of see a lot of great character development with Georgiana. In the second half, she's just kind of there. It's cool that so far in the adaptations we have covered, that there have been diverse characters and, and Emma proved being led by a woman of color. So hopefully this Sonali's movies get made into a TV show or a movie. That would be great because there's this whole world in itself, which we'll dive more into. It's already off to a great start. We're only into chapter one this episode, but it's off to a great start.
1: You guys can't see me because this is a podcast, but I've been like nodding the whole time. And I'm like, yes to all of that. Yes to <laughs> how great this book is so far and all of it shall we dive into not quite chapter one but sort of about persuasion and uh sort of what we know about the book so far
0: yes hey Jillian what do you know about persuasion oh I'm so glad you asked Yolanda not much um (laughs) it's
1: it's I and I feel like it's kind of embarrassing to say because I feel like at this point, you and I are low key Jane Austen scholars. I even. Sure. I, I feel like my biggest credit is the fact that I took a Jane Austen English class in college. I remember that we read Persuasion. I don't remember a whole lot about it, and I'm going to be completely honest, because this is the kind of person I am. I think that I am way less familiar with the story of Persuasion because there's not as many movies about
0: it. <laughs> But, yeah, Persuasion just hasn't had that sort of, like, bigger adaptation that's really made, like, headlines or anything like that.
1: Yeah, and I. But before we anger people and we get I know. threatening emails saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do want to say that, yes, there was, according to Wikipedia, a 1971 version that was made, 1995, mm-hmm. and 2007. I guess oh. what... I (laughs) I didn't realize there was a more recent one. (laughs) Well, well, but no, but that kind of, it kind of fits into what I'm about to say. What we were kind of talking about before the podcast is like, I feel like Hollywood and the BBC have done a decent job of sort of giving each generation some kind of splashy Jane Austen adaptation. You know, like we still talk about the 2005 Pride and Prejudice movie, um, even, like, we love the recent version of Emma that came out, but we for many years, like, the Gwyneth Paltrow version or even Clueless is what people were most familiar with. There are these Jane Austen adaptations that have, like, been made into more popular, more well-known mainstream adaptations. Um, and even though Persuasion has been made, I blame the media for not telling <laughs> me about it because the media sure. told me about that other stuff and it didn't tell me about this. Also, going back to what you said about turning this book series into a TV show or a movie. Yes, let's have that. Because I have a feeling this is going to be... I mean, I, I think what's really nice about this, so a little more about Persuasion the novel. It was the last fully completed novel that Jane Austen wrote before she died. And it wasn't even published until six months after her death in 1817. So in a lot of ways, Persuasion is kind of a more mature romance, which is weird because like the heroine is 27. And I feel weird saying like, oh, what a mature woman, this 27 year old. <laughs> but um, I mean, it was for back in the day because you got married and like, between the ages of like 15 to 20 was like your prime marrying (laughs) years it's basically about falling in love with your ex-boyfriend i feel like
0: yeah which i was like i guess the only real and it's not an adaptation of this at all or a retelling i guess the only like movie equivalent and i don't know if you could say this so if i'm wrong i'm wrong but uh when i like i have a lot of caveats before i say it (laughs) But when Harry met Sally is a bit like that, where you know they've they met when they were younger, but that one was more like will they or won't they for years. Um, so it's not that at all actually that's it out. Know, <laughs> but like this one is they fell in love, they got engaged in the book, and then they didn't see each other for seven years, and then it's suddenly sort of like they're back in each other's lives. So never mind. Harry met Sally isn't like that at all. But <laughs> well, no, I mean, like
1: I will never say no to comparing great stories to um, when Harry met Sally. But I get what you're saying because it's it's about like I feel like that's kind of what you look for—not even just in persuasion, but in like a m- mature romance. I feel like you're looking for these characters to overlook each other's flaws, the things that would have like totally turned you off of them when you were like a teenager or in your early 20s, just the things where normally you'd be like, nope, not you. You're trash. I don't want it. Where once you're older, you have like a deeper understanding of why people are the way that they are and to not take things so personally. <laughs> but that is to say, full disclosure, because, you know, you and I knew Emma really well. We knew Pride and Prejudice really well. So while we were talking about are the web series it was easy for us to say and this is the part in the book where they did that and do you see the comparison do you see the adaptation uh we would like to forewarn you we will try our best to educate ourselves on the plot beats of persuasion uh perhaps we will not be so quick to call out aha and this was what they did in the adaptation and that's how it really is because we have sort of or sweeping general understanding of the novel. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but I think it's going to be a fun learning experience for all of us. Think, And yeah. especially since we are... The other thing that's exciting about this is with all of the other adaptations that you and I have discussed we had watched the whole thing previously so we knew what was around the bend and i feel like there's actually going to be a little more of an element of surprise for us cuz we're taking it's kind of like book club we're taking it chapter by chapter
0: and we won't always do i think this one we're doing chapter 1 cuz i think we had a lot to talk about um but we'll do either one chapter two chapters Follow along. Read the book. You'll the, be fine.
1: You'll be fine. The book is going to tell us how many chapters to cover per episode. Yeah. <laughs> like We keep it fast and loose over here at the Pemberley Podcast.
0: <laughs> yes. I realized that something we've done too is uh, we've read like the first line of the book before diving into talking about the book. I think we must continue with tradition since I
1: can tell you've got your research face on. <laughs> Let's
0: hear it. Alright, so the first line of persuasion as we dive into recipe for persuasion is Sir Walter Elliot of Kellynch Hall in Somersetshire was a man who, for his own amusement, never took up any book but the Baronetage. There he found occupation for an idle hour and consolation in a distressed one. There his faculties were roused into admiration and respect by contemplating the limited remnant of the earliest patents. There, any unwelcome sensations arising from domestic affairs changed naturally into pity and contempt as he turned over the almost endless creations of the last century. And there, if every other leaf were powerless, he could read his own history with an interest which never failed. This was the page at which the favorite volume always opened. Elliot of Kellynch Hall, Walter Elliot, born March 1st, 1760, married, July 15th, 1784, Elizabeth, daughter of James Stevenson, Esquire of South Park, and the County of Gloucester, by which lady who died 1800, he has issue Elizabeth, born June 1st, 1785, Anne, born August 9th, 1787, a stillborn son, November 5th, 1789, Mary, born November 20th, 1791. And that is where that ends. Is
1: this like a joke sentence? I've read of my fair share of older books. And mm-hmm. while I agree that on the whole, their sentences are longer than ours, yes. I, like this is just so comically long, that yeah. I wonder if it was done on purpose.
0: Maybe, because I mean, it's like kind of right as it leads into what the book actually says, there's like a colon, but the sentence, you know, keeps going. Oh, I guess there was a period. Oh, well, I kept oh. reading.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's but- a great example I mean it's still long for like a first page, you know? Like this this is where we're opening. We're opening on some man who loves uh, like uh, the whole time you're reading that, I was like, what is this about? What's happening?
0: <laughs> I think it's interesting. I mean, we've typically had these sentences that introduce our protagonist or like kind of the main. I'm thinking about specifically Emma and Pride and Prejudice where you have these two very iconic lines, Emma introducing the main character. And Pride and Prejudice was like, "What's this whole thing about? You know? Mm-hmm. And in this case, you just have the father, really <laughs> of the of the book who uh, is just sitting around just looking up what he always looks up and reading the same page. So a very interesting start to to the novel. And
1: I think maybe with that, we should dive into official chapter one of Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I was just noticing, bless Sonali's heart, she put a very reasonably length first sentence in her book. Yeah. <laughs> it opens with the line, Ashna Rajay couldn't remember the last time her restaurant had 30 occupied tables. Boom. I feel like I know so much about her already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have our heroine's first name. And we know exactly what she does for a living or we assume we know what she she does for a living and what the ambiance of her restaurant is like. It's a very great first chapter where I feel like we get a really good sense of our main character and her really good friends and just sort of like what our issues probably are moving forward, isolated from whoever our boy is going to be.
0: Yeah, because we don't even meet the boy yet. We have no idea that there's a boy. There's no boys. We just focus. Yeah, we're just here learning about Ashna and what's going on in her world, which it's in the exact same world as Sonali's previous book, Pride and Prejudice and Other Flavors, which is the obviously Pride and Prejudice retelling that has Trisha and DJ who are the Elizabeth and Darcy of that book. Trisha is actually Darcy and DJ is Elizabeth so a bit of a gender swap there. In this case we have Ashna who is the Anne Elliot character. We just learn a little bit more about her so like there's a lot of connections between other flavors and this book Ashna is Trisha's cousin mm-hmm. but they're more and like we, sisters yes and we met we, if you read the book too you actually meet Ashna in other flavors and some of the things she talks about here is like you see play out in that book too but I'm excited to learn more about Ashna and her and her story and her journey she's had this restaurant it's a great name courage dreams that she took over after her father sadly uh committed suicide and she's just been trying to maintain the legacy of this restaurant and of everything he built up but she just keeps feeling like she's failing and she's failing the legacy she's failing her father in, in some way and she's just like almost trying to like She's not ahead of the race. She keeps just trying to keep up, you know. Yeah, and it's
1: really hard to run a restaurant. Based on movies that I've seen, it's I know. very <laughs> <laughs> like it's very difficult to run a restaurant because it's like a lot of grueling hours. Um, you have to do a lot of the work. You're like if you're the head chef, you you have there's so much that you need to oversee, so much that needs to be done. And what's sort of explained to us in the first chapter is that her. Her mother basically left her and her father when she was very young. So she grew up loving and completely idolizing her father. And uh, when he died, when she was like 18, she decided to get away. She needed something new. So she went to culinary school in Paris and left the sort of leadership of Curry Dreams to like his two head guys at the restaurant who completely ran it into the ground, took a bunch of money, took off. So she's been trying to come back from that, where she comes back at what, like the age of 22, like 20, however yeah. long culinary school is, and basically just like worked her tail off every single day. And like every day has been the same and she loves it. She loves the hard work. She can't imagine not doing this, but it that doesn't take away from how hard it is on her. So where we're opening is we can see that Ashna is like, she really, even though this life is hard on her, she really loves it. And she cares about all of her patrons because another issue that we find out about her is that if she cooks anything other than her father's recipes she is prone to panic attacks. Mm. And so she has now changed the restaurant menu so that they only cook her father's recipes because like she has to have her staff make her father's non recipes. And so, but we see how much she cares about her patrons because there's a couple celebrating their engagement. She gives them free champagne. There's this woman who is demanding fried okra which um has taken off the uh, menu. She doesn't want to make it anymore, but this woman is very pregnant. And she's like, this fried okra is all I can keep down. It reminds me of, like, how my mother or my aunt used to make it when I was young. Like, please, 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 can I have the fried okra? And, like, she goes above and beyond. She makes it for her. And her husband is like, please,
0: like, it's all she can eat. I know. She actually gets, um, I think her name is Mandy. She gets Mandy, who works there and is, like, about to leave for her shift. She's like, can you make this? And Mandy's like, yeah, and puts her, like, apron back on. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the thing you see in other flavors is that DJ actually helped Ashna completely redo the menu, and created like this great menu that like to help refresh and revive the restaurant, and it seemed like this really exciting thing, but obviously it's not something Ashna has been able to follow through with, and. That's been a big issue between her and Mandy as well. It's like Mandy has been someone who has worked with her, is actually her sous chef and has been by her side for years. Um, And that's also thanks to like Ashna taking a chance on Mandy and like helping her out when she really needed it most. But it's getting, it's gotten to like that breaking point of Mandy being like, where are we going with this? You know, like it's great. We filled up all of our tables, but like, we're only 30 tables. We could be like 100 tables. And that's something that like Ashna just like, she just can't like break past what's comfortable right now. And that's something she needs to work through.
1: Yep. So, I mean, the other thing is Mandy basically says you've been promising me a raise for years now. Mm. And Ash- like she, it's not like Ashna doesn't want to. She wants to give her whole staff raises, but she just can't afford to do it. So, Mandy said that she's taking another job, and Ashna's just like, you know what, you can, you know, she puts in her two weeks notice, but she's like, take the two weeks, paid, good luck in life. And so, it's it's kind of heartbreaking, because I don't know Mandy, but it seems like those two women have been through a lot together, and she just, in order to, like, avoid two weeks of awkwardness, just, like, said goodbye to one of her, like, most loyal people, because she sort of, like, has to go do her Another thing that we learned about Ashna, um, in addition to just working hard in the kitchen, is that she acts as her own custodial crew, so that she could keep paying and everyone's salary and not cut anyone's hours. So she clean. Not only does she like do everything, but she cleans up the kitchen and the whole restaurant
0: herself afterwards. Which is just like so much work. It's an unnecessary amount on. On the head chef who needs to be taking care of everything, I'm sure, like, she's taking care of, like, the business side of things, too, and she's cleaning. It's basically, like, she's literally carrying this restaurant, and it's it's too much.
1: No, the first five pages exhausted me. I <laughs> It's like, I'm so tired just reading this. We We soon get to meet some of Ashna's best friends. I mean, if I had a friend who had a restaurant and I knew she was up late, I would stop by demanding snacks and tea. Her two best friends, one that we talked about earlier, Trisha, who is her cousin, but like more like a sister to her um, and was our Darcy in Pride and Prejudice and Other Flavors. She barges in with her other friend, China, and uh, they come in with an offer for Ashna that should be difficult to refuse. Basically, our handsome DJ has become the host of a new celebrity cooking show,
0: Cooking with the Stars that's basically the format of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, because bas- they described it as basically like, think Dancing with the Stars, only it's cooking. So they pair celebrities with like very knowledgeable chefs, and they do a cook-off, and there's all the fun things that go into reality shows. I don't watch a lot of reality TV. I, I remember watching the first season of Dancing with the Stars.
0: I've actually been to a couple tapings of Dancing with the Stars.
1: You've mentioned so. that. Wasn't it where um, Nick Jonas was performing?
0: The Jonas Brothers
1: Jonas all, of, brothers, them. all was, of them it
0: was it uh, was Jonas Brothers and actually Jesse McCartney was also there but I frequently forget he was there. <laughs> <laughs> so i've I've been to that I went to that taping. I went to another taping where I got a picture with one of the dancers when I was in line, and that was like a big deal. That's um, very
1: exciting <laughs> like one of the choreographers or one of the stars who was one of the public? choreographers
0: nice, nice so I guess yeah, maybe the stars would have been more exciting, but because I've watched the show, I was like. Oh, my God.
1: Well, I feel like what we don't talk about about Dancing with the Stars is that, I mean, a lot of times the choreographers just become famous on that show. So they, too, sort of become the stars that uh, celebrities are dancing with. Exactly. DJ is going to be the host of the show, which is very exciting. And they're down a chef. They haven't filled one of the spots yet. And Ashna's like, oh, I do I know anyone who would be like good for TV? Like, I don't, I don't network. I just work. That's all I do. And her friends are like, no, you silly goose, you do it. And Ashna's like, what? But because she's nice, she's like, I'll think about it.
0: Yeah, because China's in a very uh, precarious situation where she's basically like, I can't go to work tomorrow unless I have a replacement so she's very gently and very persuasively trying to put a lot of pressure on Ashna to take the position because also it's not just like a free gig like she would get this great signing bonus and if she even wins like it's like $100,000 is the prize there's obviously like a lot to to actually win here like they're trying to sell it to her like no you get all this exposure for curry dreams like you're struggling right now obviously and this could be a major help option i think is someone who is not used to or wants to be in the spotlight so it's something that like she just says like i'll think about it but you kind of get the sense that like she wants to say no
1: Well, of course, like I think something that we've like learned about Ashna is even though she's there for everyone, she is not used to having the spotlight on her. She like a lot of I think who she is has been taking care of other people, whether it's like her employees or her patrons or her friends. And so I think like the only reason she would consider it at this point is because she would be helping her friends like completely overlooking everything that you just said about the fact that like she would get money for doing it and it would be great exposure for the restaurant. I mean, I know when I sometimes watch Food Network shows and they talk about like, you should visit this place in this city. I'm like, well, now
0: I have to go to this city so I can have their food. (laughs) Because you assume like it's on TV. It must be good. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We're ending on like, will she take that position? But really like there's a whole book ahead. We know she's gonna take
1: it. We know. We know this, but she doesn't know this. She's, I think in her head so far at the end of chapter one, she's in a, it's gonna be a no, but I have to wait a little while to act like I thought about this seriously. There's a lot of rich character development here. I, we've like, Heard some things about her past that like clearly make Ashna who she is today. Excited to see how all of that plays out.
0: Obviously, she has a great support system around her and people who really care for her and want to see her succeed. And she just has trouble letting people help her. And it's really like this opportunity of a lifetime that has fallen into her lap and she should take it.
1: She needs a break. She needs to do this. She needs to
0: take this opportunity. And with the fact that her sous chef is now gone, like, yeah. it's going to be double the work.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm ending on the logline of, like, Ash is in a bit of a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, next week, we're going to cover chapters two and three. So be sure to read along if you want and stay tuned.